Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the opportunity we have week by week to be together at an ongoing event of praise and worship where you are exalted, where our troubles are pushed aside, where our lives, our commitments are not on our screen, but you are where you are exalted, where we place Jesus on the throne above everything and everyone else. It helps us to be realigned. And so, Father, we pray what young Samuel prayed, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And what Jeremiah said, Your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. May both of those be true for everyone who is here. And may everyone who has come be a worshiper of the living Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. I want to introduce you to my new friend, Her name is Jill. She's in a box. This is a GPS, and when you turn it on, that's her name. It's written on it. Now, Jill is a global positioning system device, GPS. And the way it works, I understand, is there are 24 orbiting satellites, at least, around the Earth that connect and convey information to each other so that... Wherever you are, this is accurate, down to 30 feet anywhere on earth where that is programmed. So you can be directed, and I love these things. You're in a car somewhere, and it will tell you, in one half mile, turn west on I-95. It's like, perfect, it's what I need. That's just explicit direction. So I have a question. Do we, as believers, have a GPS? Is there a spiritual equivalent of global positioning system? Is there a GPS, God positioning system for believers? And what is the method of determining the will of God, the direction of God for our lives? This is a major issue with Christians. In fact, sort of a standing joke around here years ago, I had a friend who would fill in every now and then, and he would always call his sermon, Knowing God's Will. And the thing is that he never spoke about knowing God's will. So I said, Kent, why do you always call it knowing God's will? And he said, it's because everybody wants to know God's will for their lives, and if I call it that, a lot of people are going to show up. doesn't matter what I talk on. (laughs) I want to actually talk on knowing God's will out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. I think it's safe to say that sometimes knowing the will of the Lord is um, as obvious and plain as a GPS. Have you ever been in a situation where things just fall into place? It's like, wow, God is all over that. Then there are other times when it's not so obvious, 
And you feel more like Job who said, I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. You've had those situations as well. I think I may have told you that when I was a brand new Christian, I so wanted to know the will of God for my life that I thought the way to do it was to get a pad of paper and a pencil and that God would speak to me. And so I walked up to a mountain by my house, a hill really, with a staff in my hand because I had seen Charlton Heston do this on television. I thought, that's how you do it. And I put my staff down by the rock and I sat down and I just waited thinking I'm going to get dictation from God for my life's journey. And I even had a friend who was so obsessed with the minutia of God's will that he would get in his car, go up to a stop sign or a stoplight, and then pray. Dangerous to do when you're in traffic, but he would say, Lord, should I turn right or should I turn left? And then he would wait there for some impression. I think the Lord wants me to turn right. Can you imagine trying to navigate, let alone the streets, your life that way? So we're going to look at Proverbs 3. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to go down to verse 8. Some very practical counsel about this issue. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, those verses are among the most famous, most memorized, and best-loved verses in all of the Holy Writ. I was on a website called BibleGateway.com that tracked the number of hits that it gets, 8 million searches in a month, looking at how people and what people are looking for. And they compiled a list of the top 100 most read or most referred to Bible verses in the Scripture. And according to their data, in the top 100, the verses that we're reading this morning rank number 6 or number 7, depending on which day they're searching. Way up there. Number 6 or number 7 in the top 100 most read Bible verses. And then the ESV, the English Standard Version, recently put out the last few years in its Kindle edition, will tell you that these verses rank number three as the most underlined verses in the Scripture, or highlighted verses in the Scripture. A little background. The book of Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was the son of David, the second son of David and Bathsheba. If you remember, their first son died. Solomon was born after that. Solomon became the third king of Israel, and God gave to him great wisdom. And Solomon became a very prolific author. Guess how many Proverbs Solomon wrote? 
3,000, the Bible tells us. 3,000 Proverbs. And get this, 1,005 songs. Don't you wish we had one of them preserved, like on MP3 or something, that we could listen to the cadence, the beat, the words? 1,005 songs. So he wrote a lot. But we have recorded in the Scripture those books that were superintended by the Holy Spirit. They are the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. A proverb is what the word indicates. It's, a, it's an axiom, an aphorism, an epigram, a maxim, a short, pithy saying. It is truth that is distilled. It is a few words to describe something big. I like to look at Proverbs as truth bombs. They detonate in your mind with such impact and force, and they can give you truth in a way that other forms of literature cannot. In the first eight verses, we're going to look at three basic things. A promise to lean on, prerequisites to live by, and peace to last us. That is how I have divided this up. And we want to begin with the promise, because the promise is central to what we're talking about. And the promise is found in verse 6. It's the main thrust of the passage. It's the last part of verse 6. And he shall direct your paths. Now just think of that promise of God to you. It tells me that you do have a GPS. That God himself will direct your paths. Now Proverbs 3, in fact the entire book, is written from a father's perspective to his son or to his children. And just like a father or mother wants to give direction to a child for the future, so God delights in directing his kids. You want to make a dad's day? Ask your dad for advice. They love to give it. They love that direction that they can pass on from one generation to the next. So here's a foundational truth. And it's important we cover it right on the onset. Foundational truth is God wants to lead you, wants to direct you. The big question is, do you want to be led by Him? But God is in the GPS business. And there are several verses that bring this promise to bear, not only this one, but other verses like Psalm 37, where we are told, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delights in His way. Or Psalm 32, where it says, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Or we could look at Isaiah 58.11, the Lord will guide you continually. So we see that God is in the business of revealing himself to his children and directing their lives by his sovereign grace. Furthermore, When we leave the Old Testament, and all the passages I just quoted are in the Old Testament, when we get to the New Testament, we see something even more remarkable. In the New Testament, we're not just promised God's guidance, we're promised a guide who will live inside of us, called the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, He will guide you into all truth. It never ceases to amaze me when I meet a believer who is all worried and concerned about guidance, 
and they forget that a guide is living in them, which would cause us to relax a little bit. If the guide is living in you, I think you're going to be okay. It's sort of like if you were to go to a, an unfamiliar country or a big city you had never been, you want to get around, would you prefer to have a detailed map in your hands for navigation or a person who's a local get in the car and take you personally? Imagine if you could take Jill, not in a box, but Jill as a person or Jack, if you want the male voice, to hop in your car and show you exactly where to go. That would be infinitely much better. Now, a couple things about how God directs. Sometimes the Lord directs very dramatically. And I underscore sometimes, because it's not most of the time. Sometimes it's dramatic. For instance, the children of Israel were directed to the promised land by a very interesting GPS network called a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How's that for guidance? Where do we go? Wherever that cloud says to go, go. Wherever that pillar of fire stops, stop. That's dramatic guidance. Another example of dramatic guidance, one of my favorite passages, is Genesis 24. A guy named Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, is sent to go find Abraham's son Isaac, a wife. And so this guy goes to the country where he is sent, and he goes by a well, and he starts praying a classic prayer. He goes, Lord, you know, uh, here I am at this well, and, and I'm going to ask these people who are coming, I'm going to ask these girls for a drink of water. And I pray that the girl who says to me, after I say that, not only will I give you a drink of water, but I'd like to give water to your camels, let her be the one you have chosen for Isaac. The Bible says he wasn't even done praying. And the Lord answered his prayer. She shows up. He says, can I have a drink of water? And she goes, well, I'd like to give water to your camels as well. And he thought, hot diggity dog, my prayer was answered. That's very dramatic. And if you're looking that up in your concordance, hot diggity dog, you won't find it. <laughs> so that's sometimes. That is not most of the time. Most of the time, it's not dramatic. Most of the time, God's guidance is providential. Providential. That is, God directs supernaturally, naturally. He unfolds His will in the natural events of a person's life. It's still supernatural. It's still sovereign. But it's just what happens as your life unfolds. God is directing you through that providentially. A great example is Queen Esther in Persia who happened to be Jewish and happened to be at the right place at the right time when her people were being persecuted and her uncle said, who knows but that you're not at this place at this time for such a time as this. And she was. Or the story of Ruth who just happened to be gleaning in the field of Boaz which became her future husband, the ancestor of King David and eventually the ancestor of the Messiah. So that's how God usually directs. Now, if you go back to our verse in verse 6, it says, And he shall direct your paths. That's the promise that we're isolating. You may have in the margin of your Bible or in the, the center portion of it a little note 
like it is in mine, that says, literally, this means he will make your paths straight or level. It means remove the obstacles. Remove the obstacles so that you can go down that path. It's not so bad. It's level. You see which way to go. Now, how does God do that? How does God direct our paths? What part do we play in this? Well, now we move from the promise to lean on to the prerequisites to live by. And I'm going to give you, out of the text, five ways for you to tune your spiritual GPS to God's coordinates. And it all revolves around a single word. Ready? Trust. Trust. How do you find God's will? Trust. How do you get directed? You trust. You go, oh, no problem, because I trust the Lord. Well, let me qualify what I mean by trust. According to our text, this idea of trust takes on five different issues. Let me explain. Number one, it has to be a God-directed trust. A God-directed trust. Notice it says, verse 5, Trust in the Lord. You see, the idea of trust isn't that I have this power called faith and I'm releasing my faith and I I have faith in faith. I have this incredible power that when I speak these words out that something's going to happen. And that is a doctrine that has flooded through the church in the last 15, 20, 25 years called the faith movement doctrine. That you have the power by the words that you unleash to speak God's will into existence. And so basically all you have to do is have faith in your faith. That's nonsense. The reality of this implies a relationship and the object of faith isn't your faith. The object of faith is the Lord. You are trusting the Lord. It's all part of His sovereign plan. Now do you realize that you and I have been designed to depend upon God. That's how we're wired. So much so that God sees the first sin committed by Adam and Eve as Adam acting independently of God rather than depending upon God. That's the essence of the first sin. I'm going to do what I want to do at the time I want to do it. That's independence from God. God wants you to be dependent upon Him. So it has to be a God-directed trust. I'm trusting in the Lord. Number two, it has to be a wholehearted trust. Notice it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now we have to understand what the Bible means by that word heart. Because if ever there were a word that were tossed around in our vernacular very irresponsibly, it's the term heart. And I would even say by many Christians. Have you ever heard statements like this from even believers? What we need is more heart knowledge, not head knowledge. Have you ever heard that? When somebody makes a statement like that, what they are admitting to is a false dichotomy that somehow the heart of a person is set against the head, the intellect. So that the emotional feeling part of a person, that's the heart, is opposed to the intellectual processing of an individual. And so they say we need more heart knowledge, not more head knowledge. Do you know that according to the Bible, this is your biblical heart? It is your mind. It is your thoughts. It is where you process. 
It is where you form your motives and make your choices and exercise your will. It might involve your emotions, but it's your mind and your will. And so the Bible puts it this way. Jesus, it says, Matthew 9, knowing their thoughts, said to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? So he realized you're thinking something in your heart. You are thinking evil, and he knew their thoughts. In Proverbs 23, 7, we read, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So once again, the heart is the place where you process your thoughts. So when it says here, trust the Lord with all your heart, it simply means trust God with everything and don't be divided in your thoughts about trusting God. Trust Him totally. Now to press the point further, Solomon adds this. And lean not on your own understanding. So picture for a moment somebody leaning. Okay, here I am leaning on this podium. So far, so good. It has an adequate weight to displace my weight. If it were flimsy, however, me doing this, I'd be on the ground by now. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. It brings to my mind an illustration I heard years ago of a Bible translator down in the jungles of South America translating the Gospel of John. I don't know if he took two and a half years to do it, but he he was translating the Gospel of John, and he was at the key verse of John, John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. He had every word, every component of that sentence translated into the receptor language, except one word, that's the key word, the word believes. He couldn't figure out a right word or set of words to translate adequately the concept of biblical belief, biblical faith. And so he was describing it to the village elders around a campfire. As he was describing biblical faith, what it means, one of the guys jumped up, ran into his tent, and lay down on his cot. And he said, I am putting my whole weight on this cot. And they all agreed that's the exact translated concept of the word believe. So I hear that in that indigenous language, the translation of John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever puts His whole weight on Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So trust Him with all of you laying on His mercy and grace and confidence, not leaning on your own understanding. Years ago, I was working at a hospital in Southern California, and I was witnessing about my faith. And one of my supervisors in anger said, Jesus Christ is your crutch. And I said, you're wrong. He's my stretcher. I can't just lean on him. I have to, he has to carry me through. She didn't quite understand what I was trying to get through. But that's the concept here. Now, when it says don't lean to your own understanding, it doesn't mean that you're not to think as a Christian. You're to check your brains at the door. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't process through things or use common sense or that you can't counsel with well-meaning, godly people. What this means, what this refers to, is a person who exalts his own intellect over and above the wisdom of God. 
that becomes the problem. When you do that, you are leaning on your own understanding. And let me give you a couple examples from people in the Bible who did that. Abraham is the classic. Abraham decided he would lean on his own understanding, push the panic button, leave the promised land and go down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land. Even though God said, I'm not calling you to Egypt, I'm calling you to Canaan. And God told him, bad form, shouldn't have done that. I would have taken care of you. But he was leaning on his own understanding. Second example is Joshua, who instead of searching the Lord's will and praying about every battle, he decided that he would attack the little town of I, spelled A-I. Because after all, it was a little town. It's so easy to take over. We don't even need our whole army. This is something we do in an afternoon. He went and attacked it and got humiliated because he was leaning on his own wisdom, his own understanding. So it has to be a God-directed trust. It has to be a wholehearted trust. Third, as you're turning, tuning your spiritual GPS, it needs to be a recurrent trust. Go back to the text. Notice what it says. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways. In all your ways. You know why I'm doing that? Because that's going to come to haunt you, I hope, in days ahead. He kept saying that Sunday. In all your ways. You know why I'm saying that? Because some of us treat prayer like it's an emergency room situation. It's a last resort. God, I really need you now. What, you didn't need him yesterday? In all your ways, acknowledge him. It needs to be a recurrent trust. Now, here's the deal. God is in the GPS business. He's in the leading and guiding business. But he gives it to you in increments, not all at once. Because when he gives it to you in increments, you'll keep coming back. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That infers that he wants you to trust him every single day for sustenance. Now, if we were to write that prayer, we would say, how about give us this month... Our monthly needs. Then I can check in with God 12 times a year and I'm set. He didn't do that. He has arranged it in such a way so that in every situation, you get up in the morning, I commit my day to you. You're about to go into a meeting, I acknowledge you in this. You're about to take a test at school, Lord, I commit that to you. Every single situation. So that you become what the Bible says you and I ought to become when it says pray without ceasing. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. I'll jog your memory a little bit. God promised the children of Israel the promised land. And He told them how they would get it in two passages. One is Exodus 23, the other is Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is what the Lord says. I am not going to drive the enemy out all at once. He could, but He didn't. But He said, little by little. As you walk through the land, you're going to take this part, then you're going to take that part, then you're going to take this part, then you're going to take that part, and little by little, day by day, plodding along, trusting daily, you'll get that land. That's how God designed it. 
There's an old Jewish proverb that says, it's better to ask the way ten times than to take the wrong way once. God wants you to just keep coming back. Lord, I need direction. God never goes, you keep asking me that. You're always showing up here. No, He loves it. And if your parents and your children have gone away to school or they've left home and moved, do you mind it when they call you every day? Are you kidding? You love it when they check in. Fourth, it should be a Scripture-based trust. A Scripture-based trust. When you say that you trust in the Lord, it should be based upon the overall knowledge that you and I have of the promises of God in the Bible. Go back with me to verse 1 and look at those first few verses that are often neglected when people read this passage. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Notice the word law and understand that in Hebrew it's the word Torah, which makes this unusual. My son, don't forget my Torah. Torah is the word the Jews use to describe the Bible and principally the first five books of Moses, the Torah. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. What Solomon is referring to, I believe, is the law of God that he had internalized himself, even though he was imperfect, and he is passing on God's Torah to his son, to his children to live. And he's saying... Take that which has been written in stone and write it on the tablets of your heart so that your trust in God is a Scripture-based trust. Here's the principle. If you want to know God's will, you have to know God's Word. It's that simple. If you want to know God's will, you have to know God's Word. It's sort of like this little GPS, Jill, in a box. She is based upon actual physical parameters and coordinates, fixed coordinates that are in the area on the earth so that she can give direction. And so it is with our spiritual direction. The Bible is the road map that helps us navigate through this world and into eternity. And it's based upon fixed spiritual coordinates. And those principles are found in the Bible. In the old days of travel, when people traveled by boat and the boats were made out of metal, they would have two compasses aboard those ships, one on the deck and one on a mast high above the deck. And a passenger noticed the two compasses and asked a worker aboard the ship, why are there two compasses? He said, well, the the one on the deck is for the captain. It's by the wheel. It gives him the general direction and heading and bearings, generally speaking. But since this is an iron vessel... That compass is affected by its surroundings, magnetic fields. But he said the compass on top of the mast is above the influence. We always steer by the compass above. We get our exact heading by the compass above. The Bible is that compass above. And the more you and I know the Scripture, when your mind is saturated with the truth, you become predisposed to do His will. It becomes second nature to you. Those are the guiding principles that direct your life. Now, if you want the kind of resolve and confidence that you see in certain people, you, you know what I'm talking about. You see somebody who's a believer, they've been a believer a while, and you see that 
a confident resolve and steadiness about their life and their walk, it's because of this truth. They are so tethered to God's foundational truth in the Scripture that come what may in life, they're steady, steady, steady as she goes. If you've ever been on a cruise like to Alaska or ever seen the giant icebergs in some places on earth, they're fascinating. Some of them are huge. Some of them go up 400 feet in the air. And yet, 90% of the iceberg is down below. But what it looks like is you're looking at an iceberg in the sea. Let's say it's really windy. And you notice the wind is pushing against the iceberg and the waves are beating against the iceberg. The iceberg can be going in the direction opposite to the wind and the waves. The reason being is because since 90% is below, those currents under the water are propelling it. And that is a picture of a life founded upon the deep currents of God's truth and become steady even in the face of winds of trial and the winds of change, the winds of this world. Here's the fifth way to tune your GPS. Fifth prerequisite. Obedient trust. Obedient trust. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Now, I believe something. Just based upon years of being a pastor and a pastoral counselor. I believe that about 95% of a person knowing the will of God for their life begins by that person being willing to do the will of God even before they know what it is. They have this attitude that says, whatever I find in the Scripture to be the will of God concerning this matter, this situation, I'm going to do it. That's obedient trust. That's why when a couple comes in for counseling, we typically ask them, or a person comes in for counseling as a single, for whatever situation we... We usually begin by saying, now, before we begin our session, understand that we're going to be opening up this book, God's Word, the Bible. And we're going to look at principles that deal with this situation. I want to hear from you the verbal commitment of you saying you are willing to do whatever God commands. Interesting responses. Some people go, well, um, I'd like more information, please. I'd like to know what that is before I sign on to that. Then we know, at least I know if I'm doing the counseling, it's going to be a very short session. But if a person says, I am willing, I know that God is going to direct them because they have an obedient trust. No matter how difficult it is, God will get you through that. I heard of a pilot who just got his license and he was coming in for a landing, but the clouds had rolled in since he had taken off. He was not skilled in instrument navigation. And so as he was trying to come in for a landing and the fog and the clouds had rolled in, he panicked. He called the control tower and they said, don't worry, we'll give you all of the necessary coordinates. We'll tell you how to land this plane. We we got you covered. But he started panicking. He realized, I'm in a big city. There's buildings. There's mountains. And the tower said, calm down. You worry about following instructions. We'll take care of the obstructions. That's what the Lord would say to us. Just follow my instructions. Just do the revealed will of God in the Bible for your life, and I'll take care of all the obstructions. I'll make your paths straight. Now, I will admit, 
And I know this from personal experience a lot, as do you. There are times when it seems like the GPS signal is cut off from heaven. We're not getting any signal. We're not getting any impulse. It seems dark. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. When we start to panic, we start to worry. Just remember, as one sage put it, that God gave us the moon as well as the sun. And when he doesn't see fit to direct you by sunlight, he will direct you by moonlight. You'll get there. You just follow the instructions. He'll take care of the obstruction. And I also want to say before we bring this to a close with the third major point of this message this morning, the peace that we're going to talk about. When it comes to the will of God, I do not believe that God wants to micromanage your life. I don't think God has all these little minute detailed instructions and, and all the minutiae so that you become a daily puppet. So you're just sort of being pulled on a string and every little meal that you have is the meal that you should choose by the will of God. I think if you go into a store and you say, Lord, should I buy red shoes or orange shoes? He doesn't care. But you obviously do care, so you choose. And be content with it. The best advice I heard from somebody boils it down to a simple little thing you can all remember. Love God with all of your heart and then do whatever you want. That's good. Love God with all your heart and then do whatever you want. Because if you love God with all your heart, you're going to do what He wants you to do. You're going to think about what His Word says. You're going to be concerned about glorifying God. If you love God with all of your heart, do whatever you want to do. Good advice. Good, solid advice. Finally, I'm going to draw your attention to two verses, verse 2 and verse 8. This is the third and final swath of this message. This is the peace to last us. Verse 2 says, For length of days and long life and peace, the word is shalom, and peace they will add to you. You will have God's peace of mind. You won't have a guilty conscience. And all of that's going to add health to your life. I read one source, don't know how accurate it is, that said 60% of our illnesses are due to emotional stress, or at least added to by emotional stress. And activities like fear, sorrow, envy, hatred, and guilt. Look down at verse 8. It will be health to your flesh. What will be health? Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledging Him, not being wise in your own eyes. It will be health to your flesh. Interesting word, flesh. It literally is navel. I know you've always wanted to have a healthy navel. Here's how to have it. And the idea of a navel speaks of the nervous system. If you don't want to be a nervous wreck... Learn to trust in the Lord. These five ways that we have discussed today, set your GPS coordinates, tune your coordinates to those five ways. It will be health to your nervous system. And notice the last part of verse 8. And strength, literally drink or water for your bones. That means refreshment. Dryness of bones was a common image for distress and desolation in those days. I like to think of it this way. Modern medicine can add years to your life, but trusting God will add life to your years. You want real life and vigor and vim and confidence. Trust in the Lord. 
with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Have you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus? Are you laying on Him completely? If not, I invite you to step into the healthiest lifestyle imaginable. It will be healthy for you now and healthy for you eternally because it will get you to heaven. You trust in the Lord. You say, what do I have to do? You have to, number one, admit that you're a sinner, that you need God's help, that you're willing to turn from that and trust in Jesus as Savior and as Lord, and He will direct your steps. That's where you begin. Let's pray. Lord, we choose to lay our lives down on the cot of trust. Not leaning on our own understanding or our own ways. Not exalting our own intellect or our own human wisdom above your wisdom. And the wisdom especially found on the pages of Scripture. Help us, Lord. We always end our prayers saying, help us. Because we need your help. We need it today, we need it tomorrow, we needed it yesterday, we'll always need it. You created us to be dependent, and you love it when we are. And I pray for anyone here who may not personally know Christ, that today they would place their trust in Him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.